Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Monster Kid Radio. I am Derek M. Cook, your host and producer, and this week I'm going back in time to the very first recording session that I did for Monster Kid Radio. Before I launched the show, I built up a library, a collection of recordings with various people that I wanted to use in the show. In fact, all of the recordings that you've heard here on the show, with the exception of the first two weeks of episodes here, are all recordings that I've done previously. All the interviews, all the chats. This is the very first chat that I recorded with fellow podcaster and fellow Indiana Jones fan, Joe Stuber. This was the very first time I'd actually chatted with him in person, and he could not have thought of a better topic outside of Indiana Jones to talk about, and that was the movie Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. I told you last week we were getting back to the monsters here on Monster Kid Radio, and you would have a really hard time to find a better movie than Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein to do that, because you got Dracula, you got the Wolfman, you got Frankenstein, and technically you got the Invisible Man, so, I mean, it's a great film, and I'm so grateful that Joe brought it to the table here at Monster Kid Radio. Now, Joe... Is involved with the IndieCast, which is the world's premier Indiana Jones podcast. You can find that over at theindiecast.com. He and Keith Voss produce a segment for the show called The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, which is a segment all about the old comic books that Marvel Comics did back in the 80s following, well, The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. So you can check that out over at the IndieCast. It's also available on iTunes, and they have Facebook pages for both the IndieCast and The Further Adventures. You know who else is on Facebook? The Retroactive Gamma Rays, who provided the song Avast Ye for the opening of this show. You'll hear that song in its entirety at the end of this episode, and you can check it out on their album, Activate. Not only are the Retroactive Gamma Rays on Facebook, they're also over at Reverb Nation. You can also buy their music on iTunes, Amazon, wherever you buy their album. Just let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. I'd like to welcome to the show a voice that you might hear if you listen to the IndieCast. He's one of the guys behind the Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, a segment on the IndieCast where he talks about comic books. Well, he's going to talk about comics and monsters when we talk about our film today. I've got Joe Suber here on the line. How are you doing, Joe? I'm fine. Thank you very much for having me. I had this uh, first episode. Yeah, this, this is, is the first recording that we're doing for Monster Kid Radio. I'm excited. I've never recorded with Joe, so we're going to see what happens. It's a, an honor and a privilege. Thank you so <laughs> much. For, this is this is really cool. So I get a little bit of a different side uh, from Mindy. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, comics, two of the best. Uh, my favorite, my absolute favorite, Abbott and Costello, we're going to be talking about today. Are you big fans of Abbott and Costello going back? or <sighs> Probably next to Jerry Seinfeld, the biggest Abbott and Costello fan. Wow. I think when we were talking or just sort of uh, emailing off air, uh, just going through, and you kind of asked the first time I remember seeing these things. I'm telling you, it just uh, burned into my brain. They used to run Abbott Costello films on WPGH TV out of Pittsburgh, Channel 53 out of Pittsburgh, on Sunday mornings. And I would remember being, you know, at uh, my grandparents' house. And uh, my uncle was there, and we would just always, every Sunday morning, you know, we'd just watch Abbott and Costello movies. And I just, oh, these things just sort of burned into my brain, and they were the funniest things ever. And I was just like a little kid, you know, so probably like half the jokes were flying over my head anyway. Uh, it's kind of like Looney Tunes, where it's just you, just, you know it's funny, but half the stuff you don't know why it's funny, you just know it's funny. Right. Um, but these things were amazing, and that just opened my comedy brain up i just you know oh this is what funny is and that's what defined funny that and looney tunes and it was like okay 
That, that's what that's what comedy is, and you know what what better way to get than uh, than having Costello and Looney Tunes. Now, so this was not the first Abbott and Costello film you had seen. No, I don't. I can't recall what the first one I had seen was. I mean, they were just they just all kind of ran together. But I, I remember uh, specifically liking the monster driven ones. Uh, you know, they had done a bunch of them. They they had mm-hmm. done a lot of you know. They, obviously, they had started in burlesque and those routines. Who's on first and all these you know, different things were coming in. And the early movies had sort of been defined by that. It was it was just a lot of routines strung together with thin plots. I mean, you know, granted, when you watch some of these things, some of them had a little bit more plots than others. But this one was the one that sort of took them into a different direction. And you you obviously have the two. We're talking about Evan Costello meet Frankenstein. Uh, but this was sort of the one that took the two main universal franchises and brought them together. And mm-hmm. then it sort of took their career in a different direction. So I remember a lot of these ones, like you know, having Costello, the Meat movies, you know, Meet Boris Karloff, Meet the Killer mm-hmm. Boris Karloff, and Invisible Man, things like that. But I just remember that sort of dark aspect to it. And mm-hmm. uh, I really enjoyed these films, but this one in, in particular. And it's, it's not only my favorite Abbott and Costello movie, but it's probably my favorite comedy of all time. And it's oh. one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. Wow. Well, I, I enjoy it quite a bit. That's that's great. You know, I've actually had a chance to see this recently on the big screen. Uh, this past Halloween, a local theater here was showing it for a buck. Yeah, so I, I had to go. Man. Did, yeah, I, I missed them. You know, I caught Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, the AMC. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, the, was it the Turner Classic? Uh, I think it was Turner. Turner yeah. Classic did those. So we caught those on the big screen for the first time. And uh, yeah, I missed the Evan Costello meet Frankenstein, but yeah, that was there too. But boy, what, I mean, that's perfect that you get to see. That's awesome. I'm and a little jealous. We had a nice group of people. There a nice cross section. It wasn't just like film nerds and or you know older people or whatever. It was a nice mix of people, and everybody loved it. Just Isn't had fun with it. Everybody laughed at all the same jokes. It was yeah. great. It's it's just it's just the best. I mean, you can't watch that movie and just not thoroughly enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you talked a little bit about how it, it changed their career, kind of changed their styling of, of the kind of movies they would make. This was a movie that Abbott and Costello came to as things were kind of starting to die off for them a little bit. They, they were kind of falling off the top of the, the comedy list, I suppose, or, or not really hitting the same marks they were making before. And then they went into this movie and it kind of spun their career off into a totally different direction. It was the first meet movie for them and it you know, in my opinion, I've not seen them all, but in my opinion, it's the best one of the batch. Oh, yeah. I mean, far and away, far and away. the best. They're all great. Uh, oh, yeah. But, but far and away, this one, I mean, you, you've got all the monsters. So I mean, just mm. just from yeah. the scope, uh, you know, it just makes it that. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, they were coming out of a, a very bad time. I mean, this was, you know, Luca Stello had uh, dealt with health issues, mm-hmm. uh, He like very severe health issues. He was also dealing with the death of his infant son. They're coming out. Uh, they had financial problems, tax issues, liabilities. They were always rumored to be breaking up at this point. So I think they had actually even taken a break up until this point. Um, and even coming in with a script, Lou hated it. I mean, Lou thought it was. He he stormed in and said, "My my daughter could write something better than this." <laughs> uh, so he they were not happy to make this film. It very much could have been the end of Evan Costello, and instead it just rejuvenated. Uh, the team, and so even on that aspect, I appreciate it. it. It's just such a such a fantastic point in their career, and it really took them to a new level. I mean, you mm-hmm. look at it; just th- there's one routine in it uh, from a previous movie, The Moving Candle, uh, but all the burlesque routines are gone. This is just a straightforward, straightforward script. 
And they would return to that moving candle uh, sequence or routine uh, in, I believe it was Meet the Mummy. They would yeah. do a similar thing to that. But for the most part, yeah, this is just a straight up, it's a comedy. It's got its horror moments because we've got the monsters. But yeah, I mean, it's just a straight up comedy film and, and it's not just set up joke, set up joke. There's an actual story and a, and a pretty involving plot and a lot of nods to what Universal had done with their monster movies up to this point as well. I mean, you've got Lon Chaney, you've got Bella Lugosi, you've got Glenn Strange who played the monster, uh, what, two times prior? Yes. Yeah, so, I think Karloff had I mean, kind of bailed after the third one. And mm-hmm. uh, even he said, yeah, I'm, I'm not watching this one because he thought they were going to spoof it. Uh, although he did some uh, some publicity for it. There's like shots, there's pictures right. of him pointing at the at the poster, and he did some publicity for it. But yeah, strange, great horror name too, by the way. So you know, mm-hmm. what better <laughs> way to bring in the monster? Uh, but he had done that. Uh, and yeah, you're right. I mean, this, I, I think what, what helps define this movie too is the fact that it takes the monster seriously. It doesn't spoof them like Young Frankenstein did. It basically puts Abbott and Costello in their world. Not the other mm-hmm. way around. It doesn't put the monsters in Abbott and Costello's world. And I think that's the secret to this movie, is that they are treated with respect. And they are terrifying. But then you throw Costello into it, who's got the best horror takes. I mean, I think that when he's <laughs> terrified, and obviously when they started doing the monster movies after this, you get more of that. But, I mean, that really sells it. But they And that was one thing that Lugosi had a concern with. Because he hadn't played... That was the other thing I found out was he hadn't... You think he plays Dracula a lot. But he's only ever played him twice. He's played vampires, but he only right. ever played Dracula in Dracula and in this one. Yeah, on the screen, he only did Dracula twice as a feature. Right. There's also a short, like Betty Boop short, where he plays Dracula for Universal once. Wow. But that's it. For Universal, yeah. this is the only time outside of the original film where he donned the cape and played Dracula. Yeah. So. so he was kind of concerned that they wouldn't treat it with respect. And then he read the script and saw, he's like, oh, okay, well, I'm basically just on the set to scare these guys. Which I can do, and and it preserves the legacy. So he was okay with it. It was interesting too, because uh, they they get Abbott Costello. What I'm, from what I learned is they always tried to keep the set light because they needed to keep the comedy energy up. Because you know there's a lot of downtime in between takes, and right. so then it's like okay, action. Okay, now we have to be funny again. So they would they, you know, they hired. Oh, it was Bobby Barber they hired as a court jester. And he would come out and have like seltzer bottles and pie fights, and they would do all these things on their movies to keep in between the takes, to keep things light. Uh, and Lugosi <laughs> didn't really want to have any part of that during the takes. They would they would bust up people during the takes, too. And he was like, no, I'm a professional. This, you know, So he didn't like... But in between takes, he would kind of jump in on things, which is kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, it was just... Uh, and, and then they obviously stayed away from the pie fights towards Strange because it would the makeup just took forever. <laughs> right, yeah. Wow. And now, the makeup is slightly different in this film than what we had seen in the previous monster films because Pierce isn't around anymore. Mm-hmm. It's now a different kind of makeup. It's foam latex pieces and things like that done by Westmore. But I think the makeup holds up just fine. I think it does, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it looks great. I mean, you know, I thought some of the transformation scenes are very cool. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, it just... If you like Universal monsters, and you know, really, who doesn't? Uh, th- this is a perfect movie. It really treats them with respect, and it-, it actually does more with the monsters than some of the later sequels of the Universal monster movies did. I mean, sometimes the Frankenstein monster wouldn't even be on until the last few minutes, you know, on a slab or something, and be brought in, and you know, he didn't talk. He has got dialogue in this one, at least a line, you know. Right. Yes, master. You know, is a, uh, but. I think this film treats that franchise with a little bit more respect than some of the sequels, the, the proper sequels did. 
Now, do you consider this part of the series as part of the franchise? Uh, in, in a way, yes, and in a way, no. I mean, there's what I like about it is that it, it definitely puts Abbott and Costello in their world. So that is a world that was created, and there are elements to that, and it's taken seriously. It's not a spoof. So in that aspect, I do. But they pretty much jettison uh, you know, everything that, all the continuity that had gone up to it. Uh, you know, because obviously the Wolfman had been cured, and, and well, now here he isn't. Uh, and it's like, now Dracula has the Frankenstein monster. So, I mean, there are some different things that you're like, hmm, they, you know, that doesn't make sense with that sequel, uh, or that movie. So in that respect, I like how they were able to just jettison everything and not, could you imagine if they had to explain all the other previous movies, which, oh, which you know, all the, the baggage and the continuity that came in? No, they just get to the funny. So I like that aspect of it. But in a sense, it's kind of a sequel, I, th I think. Well, what do you think? I do put it in there with the mix. I do put it in with, with the entire franchise. Yeah, you're right. At the end of House of Dracula, you know, Talbot's been cured of lycanthropy. He's no longer a werewolf. But he gets it back again three years later in this film. He also shaved because yeah. um, in House of Dracula, he had that little mustache going on. Yeah. Uh, but I do consider it part of the franchise, part of the series. I have no problem kind of reconciling it all into one big story for me. Yeah. So I, I can they, consider it part of the series. And the monsters no, have no gotten, issue with that. The monsters have gotten together earlier too. I mean, you know, as you mentioned a couple you know, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, you've got House of Frankenstein mm -hmm. with all three monsters, you've got House of Dracula. Right. So th these things had happened before. And uh interestingly enough, Bud and Lou actually even considered teaming up with the three monsters for a Broadway show that never materialized. So this was I think like in the mid forties they were talking about this had been around for a while. Uh so these yeah. things have been going on for a while. So yeah, I think it just all kind of melts together. Yeah, the idea of bringing them all together has been floating around. You said since the 40s. Now, I don't know too much about that Broadway pitch. Do you know a lot or, or much more about that? No, one of the books I was looking up, they had mentioned uh, just that that was an idea that they had floated out. I was trying to see the, the year. Um, it mentions a couple of the, the different things. It said the monster made a brief gag appearance in Olsen and Johnson's Hell's a Poppin' in 41. Mm -hmm. uh, had a cameo uh, from Ghost Catchers that was cut 1944. Said Bud and Lou themselves had considered teaming up with the Monster Dracula and Wolfman for a Broadway show. They discussed the logistics of the makeup with Universal's makeup wizard Jack Pierce in 42. Some exhibitors had successfully teamed Bud and Lou with Universal's goons in 43 when It Ain't Hay played on Double Bills with Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. So they wanted to do something. They, they just didn't know what it was. Uh, and then by the time, you know, this rolled around, they even had a script, an original script by the, the guy, the screenwriter who had written uh, some of the Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes in Washington mm -hmm. uh, in particular. And so there was like a whole aspect of taking the, the microfilm aspect from that movie. And they had, there was an original script uh, where the evil Dr. Fell tried to reanimate the three monsters and then use the Frankenstein's formula and then put it, put it on microfilm. And then somehow Avon Costello wind up with a microfilm. And then obviously all the chaos ensues <laughs> in their world of people trying to get the microfilm. And it was weird because it said they had, at the end of the movie, it was like salt and vinegar were used to yes. revive the monster. And baked beans were used to revive the wolfman's. I don't even know what any of that means. Yeah, no, I, I, I can't even imagine what that would look like or, or no. play, how that would play. So you've got a weird script. You've got a Broadway show. So, so obviously everybody had been trying to do something to get all this together. Um, mm -hmm. And then, obviously, the, the screenwriters, Robert Lees and Frederick Ronaldo, came up with a, a brilliant script, originally called The Brain of Frankenstein, mm -hmm. uh, but it didn't, the, the name wasn't testing well <laughs> so, until Abbott and Costello's name were thrown into it. And then people were like, oh, yeah, that's funny. 
So then right. he's like, hey, let's do Evan Castell meet Frankenstein. So, but it's funny because they call it that, and then it's but it's the other monsters. So that's true. Well, it goes back to the whole: is he Frankenstein or Frankenstein's monster? You know, right. they call him the Frankenstein, even though that's not really his name. So, I mean, that kind of gets perpetuated a little bit with the title here. But yeah, and what uh, is you the know, title, it's, it's by a, the way? something that's been kind of on the cultural or pop cultural radar for a while, and it was great to see it finally happen as this film. I love this film. Yeah. Well, what what is the title by the way? Because it's like when you watch the film, it's Bud Abbott, Lou Costello, Meet Frankenstein. And then it's also referred to, like on the movie posters, as Bud Abbott and Lou Costello Meet Frankenstein. But then everybody knows it as Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. Yeah, I was trying to pull up some things just to have on my screen as reference while we record. And the IMDb just calls it Bud Abbott, Lou Costello Meet Frankenstein. The Blu-ray that I have, I think, just has Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein on the cover. Although it might have Bud and Lou in very small print. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody knew who Abbott and Costello were at the time. So I think... And I think we can call it Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein because I think everybody knows what we're talking about here. Everybody has seen the film, or at least most of the listeners of the show are familiar with the film, or at least know the story. Yeah. I mean, so. yeah, I always call it Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. Yeah, but if you look at the titles proper, uh, what great animated sequence to open it up with, too, by uh, uh, Walter Lance. Walter Lance, it? yeah, yeah, from uh, Woody Woodpecker yes. uh, fame. And he also did the, uh, the, transform- the Dracula transformations. Uh, yeah, that, that too. I wasn't able to find confirmation of that, but yeah, they've they've been saying that that sequence was uncredited, but most people believe it was a Lance who did that as well. Yeah, and it kind of looks. Which, like, if, did, did you get like a, an old Kirk Allen Superman yeah. vibe? This is the series where he would duck behind a rock, and then a cartoon <laughs> Superman would pop. So, I mean, but you know what? It's just yeah, it's cheesy. But you know what? I watched it again. It was like I love that. It's so and you get that like creepy bat, like the actual bat. <laughs> like flying, the wings flapping, and uh, it, it's cool. Which is a far cry from the original Dracula, because the original Dracula is so straight, you know, mm-hmm. stagey. There's none of this transformation, you know. There's none of that. But right. I mean, I guess you do see a bat briefly in the first Dracula, but there's none of that kind of that animated feel, like you said, that kind of yeah. George Reeves Superman kind of feel. But I still have no problem kind of putting them together as you know, great bookends for what was this incredible universal monster franchise yeah you know starting with dracula and ending with this one this one actually was the first film that i saw of the whole set really? uh, i yeah i kind of came to horror movies and i've talked about this on various podcasts and videos and things i came to horror movies in a really roundabout odd way i wasn't allowed to watch any horror movies growing up my mom was very church you know a, a bible heavy <laughs> yeah. person r-rated movies no not allowed to watch them but I did find a collection of little thin orange covered hardback books in the kids section of the library by Crestwood House that covered each of the classic monster movies. And I re- remember reading about Abbott and Costello and Frankenstein as well as all the others in these books. So I kind of knew the stories already because these books kind of did what famous monsters of Filmland would do or the other film magazines would do. Just kind of give you a, a synopsis of the movie because back then – there wasn't VHS or DVD or whatever. So to kind of share the plot, they had to put them in these books or these magazines, these various publications. So I knew the stories going into them. And then one day flipping through channels at my best friend's house over at Bobby's house, came across the opening credit sequence of Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. And I knew what it was because I remember seeing pictures of what I was seeing on the screen in these books. And I made us sit down and we watched it from start to finish. So that was your and first I was just, experience it, with Universal it my, Monsters? It really was. And I was yeah. enthralled yeah. by the, this thing. And, I mean, to me, it's kind of the best of everything that Universal had going on because you've got some of the comedy. You've got the monsters. You've got Lon Chaney Jr. just 
man, that guy looks like he had the weight of the world on him. And it was all weighting, uh, hang, uh, weighing him down by the eyelids. You yeah, know, he just looked and, so dragged down, but man. And they're all taking it seriously. That's, that's yeah. the best part because you know, in between takes, they're just cutting it up. But these guys were taking it seriously. And it, like, how do you take something in an Evan Costello movie seriously? But I think that's what makes it work is it's so straight and so much drama. So that when things happen to, you know, Luca Costello, who, you know, in this one, it's, it's Wilbur. So that we always say I've been Costello, but it's, you know, it's Chicken Wilbur. Um, right. Although, at, although Costello does slip at one point, uh, during the revolving door sequence. And it, it's very tough to catch, but it, he's just like rambling in, in, in his, his panic and terror. And you can hear <laughs> Abbott slip out just very briefly. Yep. Well, uh, and he was so good at that rambling and that, that. Oh. Chick, chick. I mean, it's just so good. So good. <laughs> you know, it just, when you put him in that situation, oh, it, that's just comedy gold. And you're, and you're terrified. And, and of course, Abbott never sees anything. No, not at all. And, and so you're just like, come on, Abbott, just get back like one minute earlier and, and everything would be yep. fine. Yep. Uh, yep. And see, and that worked for me too, because when I had seen the movie, you know, I was a younger guy, you know, younger kid. So, you know, I was watching things like Sesame Street and back then Big Bird was always trying to show his friends stuff all up like this, but he was always the imaginary friend. So <laughs> that kind of played off. Wow. I don't know how I just linked Evan Costello and Frankenstein to Sesame Street, but I did it. To snuff all up heard it. In, in that's one, right. In one step. That's right. <laughs> no, but that's exactly it because you're, you're the viewer. You're mm -hmm. with them. They're telling it from your perspective. And so your, your frustration's coming through too. And then, and then all of a sudden, guess what? You're engaged. Mm -hmm. You're not just sitting back watching it. You're engaged because you want that person to come running in. And, you know, like halfway through the film when, when Abbott finally, he said, do you believe me? Now? It's like the, you know, the monsters are running around and things are blowing up. Like, do you believe me now? He says, yeah, I believe you now. Yeah. And I'm just yep. like, you know, why didn't you believe him an hour ago? You could have avoided all this. <laughs> but, but by then you're engaged. And that's the thing. That's the that's the mark of a perfect movie, a perfect television show. When you engage the viewer and you forget you're watching a movie, whether it's Sesame Street and you're screaming because Snuffleupagus is right there, or the <laughs> monsters coming in and you're you're engaged, and that's a great script. Mm -hmm. Well, and there's a lot about the script to like. I mean, there's that. There's the audience engagement. There's the humor, but it also catches all the viewers up to speed with all the monsters and their various mythologies very quickly. I mean, at this point, I imagine it's 1948. Everybody knows basically the story of Dracula and the Wolfman and Frankenstein's monster. But for those few who might not know the background or the story, we're caught up pretty quickly with how the monsters work yeah. and some very smart scripting. I mean, we see. You know, Talbot turned into the Wolfman pretty early. Yeah. So there's a the transformation. So we know the so, deal yeah. there. And when they're in the House of Horrors, there's those two placards that kind of explain what Frankenstein's monster is and what Dracula is. You get the exposition. Right there. And it's not this clunky kind of info dump kind of thing. It's just mm -hmm. we're setting this up so that you know how these monsters work. Remember, this is how they used to work. And, well, they still do work that way. And, I mean, it's just smart scripting. Yeah. And you're assuming that those monsters are real. Because they're put in real life. Now, Abbott doesn't think that, and, you know, people think it's great, but Costello believes it. And McDougal, regardless of whether he believes it or not, he knows he can make money off these things. So mm -hmm. the, the legends are there. So they put it into that world of, oh, yeah, like you said, everybody assumes that these monsters were real, and now let's go take a look at their remains. But it turns out they're not remains. They are still real. 
And speaking of McDougal, I got to mention it because I feel like he's one of the unsung heroes of this movie. I love yeah. Frank Ferguson's performance as Mr. McDougal. I would great. love to go to his house of horrors. Yes. Just to meet him. Just to meet him. <laughs> he's cl- just his opening scene when he's just like berating Costello, you know, or yes. Wilbur in this case. But he's just like, he's grabbing him and he's yelling at him. And he, I mean, he's just, you know, you, you could feel, you know, his passion in this. But what a performance. Per- yeah, totally unsung. And he steals, I think, almost every scene he's in. Oh, definitely. And then later on in the movie, when he, at the masquerade and he's dressed up as the devil and he's out in the swamps and he get he gets attacked by the Wolfman. That's kind of dark. Yeah, that, it's, I mean, I mean, it, I'm telling you, people don't. I mean, it's Abbott Costello. It's like it's funny. But, I mean, it gets dark. Mm-hmm. And you know, at this point, do you think McDougal's going to become a werewolf? Did he get it? Did he oh, get I didn't bit even think by of that? I mean, he did. Well, did, yeah, I couldn't. I wasn't sure if he got slashed. Yeah, I mean, they don't really say, but... No, he's just kind of like... He's taken out off camera, but, I mean, he survives. But, yeah, that would have been a cool sequel, huh? Yeah, well... Stella meet McDougal. It definitely would have changed his character. Yes. (laughs) I don't know if it'd be an improvement or not, but... (laughs) No, but he's so great in it. I think I I remember him from the Andy Griffith show when he was on there. Because I know his face looked familiar, and then I saw that he had done some episodes of the Andy Griffith show. I'm like, I probably saw him on there as well. But, yeah, Yeah, great character actor. Yeah, he's a great character actor, and I mean, he's like you said, he steals the scene yeah. or the screen every time he's on. I mean, he's just fantastic. He's a perfect foil for Costello because I mean, oh. he, you've got Abbott, but he's a perfect, and even uh, even Lon Chaney, you know, as Talbot is just when he's grabbing, everybody grabs Costello and just shakes him. <laughs> you know, it's almost like you know, like a, some rite of passage when you're on an Abbott Costello film. Like you know, if you just get to grab Costello and shake him around a little bit, but he's, he's very grabbable. You, you <laughs> just grab a handful and shake him and yell at him, and uh huh, uh huh, and then he, the little finger twitching and all that. Perfect. <laughs> and the slap and the fit, you know, it's just oh it's yeah. Fun. And uh, you know, I tell you what, one other thing that sets this perfectly in the Universal uh, Monsters pantheon of, of great movies is the 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 score, uh, Pitch Perfect score by Frank Skinner. Um, who had done Son of Frankenstein, Wolfman, Invisible Man Returns. And this score is so good that, that Universal used it for the subsequent Meat movie, you know, Meat Boris Karloff, The Killer Boris Karloff and The Invisible Man. They used elements of that score in it. Uh, and it's unforgettable. I mean, when you hear it, it's unforgettable. Definitely. It's, it's iconic. It definitely speaks to that monster rally kind of vibe. Yeah. That Universal had been known for up until this point. Universal would a lot of times reuse their soundtracks. I mean, even going back to the very beginning of their monster cycle, you know, Swan Lake appears in both Dracula and The Mummy. So, I mean, Universal would repeat a lot of their music. In this particular case, they did it to great effect because Skinner's score is fantastic. Uh, you know, one of my favorite movies, Creature from the Black Lagoon, and that music turns up in a ton of stuff, including King Kong versus Godzilla, of all things. So, oh, wow. you know, Universal would repeat their music, but when you got something as good as what Frank Skinner did, um, I see why. Yeah, and I think that's what ties all those those meat, Evan Costello meat movies together uh, and why I remember them so vividly as a kid, just because that music kind of ties it. It's almost like a theme, you know, like uh, you know, Indiana Jones has his theme and Superman has his theme, Star Wars has that theme. So it was almost like this became the Evan Costello horror theme that, that kind of resonates. And I just remember all these movies. I remember those like massive sets. Uh, you know, I think it was like, the cave scene in uh, mm. Boris Karloff. And, you know, just a lot of these great sets that were built and just that, that moody darkness, the lighting, 
uh, the the contrast, and then that music just kicks in. And I, I just boy, that just left an impression on me as a kid to this day, and that, that's what I remember. Speaking of things that we like about Abbott and Costello, Meet Frankenstein. What are two or three of the the things about this movie that just draw you to it? Or if you were going to sell this movie to somebody else to get them to sit down to watch it, what are two or three things about this movie you would use as a, a selling point? Wow, uh, good question. Um, well, I mean, if if I can't say Abbott Costello. And that's already sold. It's like, I don't want to talk to that person. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> if, if you don't get Abbott and Costello and you don't want to watch it, you really need to get away from me. So it, it's just that, that speaks volumes about a person. But I mean, you've got all the monsters. I mean, that to me is the biggest thing. You, you brought them all together, but not in a cheesy way. I think that would be the easiest thing to do as a spoof. I love Young Frankenstein. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, but it's done as a spoof. And so I think it would have been easy to do that with this one, and they didn't do it. I think you were able to bring all these monsters together, which they had tried to do before, not as successfully. And I think this one uh, really sells it. But it's that mix of horror comedy. I mean, we've seen that in every decade. Every decade has had their share of horror comedies, but I think this one works better than any of them. So I think if you, that, that blend of there is some actual moments of sheer terror in this movie, I mean, you've got Dracula, you know, the biting on the neck of Sandra and, you know, turning her in, into a vampire. And you've got, you know, as you mentioned, McDougal getting slashed by the Wolfman. Uh, so you've got all these different horror elements. You've got those massive sets, you know, that bring the whole thing to life. And it, it I mean, you watch it, it jumps off the screen. And again, I envy you for being able to see it on the big screen because it, that had to look tremendous. Oh, yeah. It was gorgeous. I mean, Universal's monsters, uh, their films, the set design and the set construction on some of these movies is just fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's epic and it's grandiose and it's like nothing that you see today. Right. Yeah, I love when he goes into the the uh, the basement, you know, the, the huge, massive basement. He's like, what's in there? Broom closet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to go in there. Uh -huh. Costello doesn't. It's a broom closet. I mean, it's that place is huge. But then even the lab set, and I think one of the is the Butterloo's kids had talked about because they used to bring their kids on the set. Huge family men. I mean, you know, at a time mm -hmm. when, you know, Hollywood stars were you know with everyone else. I was like, these guys were like really good family men, and they bring their kids on the set. They didn't want to be apart from their family. And they, I forget which kid I was reading about, but they said you know that those sound effects, you know, and all the crackling and the electricity that was real. They said. They were really like firing stuff off on the set, and yeah, you know uh, it's like you don't you know you didn't CG. You know, there's obviously special effects and things like that, but they said they had some stuff going on there that they remember vividly. Right. I mean, there are some optical effects in here. I mean, we mentioned the transformation from Lugosi to Bat. When Lugosi or when Dracula reanimates Frankenstein's monster for the first time, there's the little cartoon lightning bolts that go from his <laughs> ring to his okay neck bolts. Oh, is that yeah? Was it was that his ring? I thought it was like a ring or some sort of. Like a little device, but yeah, you know, that's the other cool thing about this is it doesn't matter. Whatever that's true. <laughs> it's a plot device, you know. <laughs> Were you okay with that? I, you know, I was okay with it, and I had to remember because it's been a long time since I've seen like House of Dracula, or or even House of Frankenstein. Uh, I mean, I've got them here; they're collecting dust right now. But 
I had to remember that in the later Universal Dracula portrayals, he was definitely a vampire, but there's also a lot of the mad scientist kind of creeping into his characterization. And then, of course, you look at Bela Lugosi, who had been doing some mad scientist roles between Dracula's stints. So to bring some of that mad scientist that kind of, you know, he's trying to revive the Frankenstein's monster and control him, I had no problem with that. Yeah, it just and again, it gets the plot going. You don't, you don't. You mentioned it earlier. It's like it gets right to what it needs to get to within a few minutes. So you're off and running. I mean, Costello's screaming already. I mean, you're within the first probably what ten minutes of the movie, maybe, maybe ten fifteen minutes of the movie, and he's already screaming and panic. So we're we're off and running. So yeah, those little plot devices. But yeah, that was a little weird. Just a little. Zzz little bolts bringing and and he just like gives him some juice just to get him from point a to point b yeah just enough to get him moving yeah so they have to get and that's the whole what drives the whole plot is that you know sandra the girlfriend who you know you you just and again when you see these avon costello movies costello always gets the great looking women and you're just like how does he well in this one there's a little bit they're using him obviously in this one but uh there's a great line by um by bud in this one too it's like you know at one point when Sandra's asking, because there's an insurance agent that comes in, a beautiful insurance agent who's protecting McDougal's investment. Right. Uh, and she, and then Sandra, the girlfriend who's the, who's the doctor who's trying to get Costello's brain to put into Frankenstein's monster so that he's easily manipulated. Right. Uh, she says, <laughs> you know, she sees the, the insured, beautiful insurance agent. Are you, you know, are you cheating on me? She's wondering. And, uh, and then Abbott just says, you know, how, and he says, uh, how can you how can you look me in the face and ask me that? It says how can you look him in the face? Right. It's just like, <laughs> well, and even at the very beginning of the movie, when we first meet, uh, you know, Sandra, you know, there's an exchange where, you know, he asks her if her head's on or is your head all right because you know she's all over Wilbur. Yes. You know, it's like yes. really. I mean, it's it's. I don't yeah. know, chicks like and, guys who make him laugh. I guess I don't right. know. Well, then the one thing. <laughs> He says, uh, I, Bud says, I don't get it. And she looks yeah. at him and says, and you never will. Yeah. Like, there's so many lines. I, you know, there's another selling point. All the, I don't know if those are ad lib or scripted. Um, you know, you've got the line, you know, from Lon Chaney, you know, it, it, when the moon, t- you know, when the moon is full, I'll, you know, I'll turn into a wolf. And, you know, Costello says, yeah, you and 20 million other guys. Man, I saw that in the theater. Everybody just laughed. I mean, it was a, a genuine, like, roaring of laughter right at that moment because it's, it's just line. so perfect. I don't know if that was in the script or if Costello came up with it, but, you know, it just, there's so many great lines like that. And you when you watch it again and again, you pick up all those lines. So, I mean, yeah, that's what sort of sets the plot in motion. Uh, so we've got, you know, Sandra, who, that's the whole thing is that they want Costello's brain. And, and he even admits, he's, I've had this thing for 30 years, it doesn't work. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they want to put that in so that, you know, you know Dracula is tired of the monster just going ballistic all the time he's got this you know evil criminal brain in there you know he's like i need i mean did we ever find out what dracula wants to use him for i don't think so and i don't know if it's really all that important but i don't think we really find out no he just wants to he just wants to be able to manipulate him easier and he'll be able to do that with costello's brain in him I mean, not not to get too meta, but if we look at it as part of the overall franchise, the brain that's in Frankenstein's monster right now, unless something happened, you know, between films, was the brain that was transplanted from Igor into the monster, and I believe Son of Frankenstein or Ghost of Frankenstein, right? Which what and Igor was played by Bela Lugosi. Yeah. So Bela Lugosi as Dracula wants to replace the brain from Igor as played by Bela Lugosi with Lou Costello. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know if that's an upgrade or not. <laughs> hey, yeah, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> hey, master. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> drack, 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 drack. drack, drack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Boy, I'm you know I'm glad it didn't work because that would have been that would have been kind of weird. Yeah, if, just if, a little bit. I did have Costello's brain in it. Although it would have made a very cool sequel. <laughs> what would you have called it? I... Uh, Abbott tries to get the, the search for Costello's brain. There's something. <laughs> there you go. Hey, big thanks to Joe for joining me on this week's episode of Monster Kid Radio. I love Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, and I can't wait to continue that discussion on the next episode. And remember, I mentioned last week we've got a contest here at Monster Kid Radio to create the very first promo for the show. You guys hear me play promos for various podcasts here on Monster Kid Radio. You listen to other podcasts, you hear other promos. We don't have one for Monster Kid Radio, and I want to give you the opportunity to produce one for us. Now, I included the Monster Kid Radio theme music that we use when we're not having another band play their music on the show in the feed last week. You can find that at monsterkidradio.net or monsterkidradio.libsyn.com. You can download that if you want to use that. You don't have to, but if you do use music that doesn't belong to you, you got to make sure you get permission to use it in the promo because, well, the winning promo will become property of Monster Kid Radio LLC, and we just want to make sure everything's above board. If you win the contest, if you create the best promo for Monster Kid Radio, you will win a brand new, unopened, never-watched-before copy of White Zombie on Blu-ray. It was recently released by Kino. It looks great. It's got a great commentary track. It's a wonderful film. And I can't wait to give that to one of you guys or gals if you make the best promo. The deadline for the contest is August 11th. If you want to get a hold of us between episodes, you can find us on Facebook by looking up Monster Kid Radio, or you can email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or call and leave a voicemail for us at 503-479-5MKR. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Variations 3.0 Unboarded License. Of course, that does not apply to the song Avast G, which is available on the album Activate by the Retroactive Gamma Rays. The song appears here on the show, courtesy of the band. See you next time. <laughs>